This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. Welcome to Folklore on the Rocks. (laughs) Hello everybody, I'm Logan. I'm Lindsay. And this is Folklore on the Rocks. Oh, Yay, yeah. welcome, welcome. We are so glad to be back. Oh, we are. And as you probably just heard in our pre-show stuff, uh, we have an exciting announcement. We have joined together with some other awesome podcasts, and we are now part of a network slash collective called Straight Up Strange Productions. Um, it's filled with shows about like myths, legends, history, paranormal stuff, cryptozoology, true crime, and even science because science can definitely be weird and strange Ooh, too. For sure. Um, so lots and lots of strange, cool stuff, which you probably like, otherwise you wouldn't be here. So <laughs> you can find out more on the site for the network. It's called straightupstrange.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Strange Podcasts, on Instagram at Strange Pods, or you can find us on Fake f- Facebook, basically, right? Yeah. Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and you can just look up Straight Up Strange Productions. But we do want to give a special shout out to our friends at the Into the Portal podcast, who are the masterminds behind our new venture. Yeah, it was really cool of them to reach out to us. And uh, yeah, this sure. will be a fun adventure seeing where this goes. Yeah, already it's shaping up to be something really cool. And so we're we're excited to be part of like the launching group with it. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Moving on from that, I guess we should just hop right into our cocktail. Yeah, it sounds good to me. It's a lovely spring weather. Life is green. Let's go someplace else green. What do you say? I think that sounds great. All right. Um, we are doing a ginger mojito tonight, and it's it's kind of a spinoff of a drink that's pretty common in West Africa in general. So it's just been kind of tweaked a little bit to be actually be alcoholic for one. <laughs> Um, but it has a lot of the same ingredients with another one. So basically this one recipe wise, we've got three slices of fresh root ginger. So like thumbnail size slices, just straight off of a root of ginger. One thing that's really nice about ginger, if you didn't know, is that you can stick it in the freezer when you're not using it. So I did not know that. It's very handy. Yeah. Or you probably can. And if I I'm wrong about that, then I've been doing it wrong. Or does it become like the ginger that you sometimes get with sushi you shouldn't eat? I don't know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but well, I was we'll, we'll do I'm some experiments. Sure it was my mom that told me and so I just kind of believe it. That sounds you know? like, Yeah, that sounds reliable right there. That's a mom thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then you put like five to eight mint leaves in the drink. More or less is fine. If you want twelve, that's great. If you want two, that's fine. Um it just depends on how minty you want this mojito. And then you've got a couple ounces of white rum, a half an ounce of lime juice, and then a unique and optional ingredient is a pinch or so of peppercorn, ground peppercorn. Yeah, it just kind of sets the whole thing off just a little bit. A lot of people are adding more and more either salt or pepper actually to their cocktails because Mm -hmm. it, it brings out a whole other level to drinks. I mean, in the past, it's been like pepper in your Bloody Mary, you know? And now people are putting them in more and more 
drinks more of the ones that are like a little bitter or a little more savory yeah well i, it just I know it depends yeah i know when i when i mix drinks often it's so easy to go sweet uh it's so that that's the yeah. that's the path that everybody takes and yeah sure if you screw it up just add some more mixer and it'll, it'll be fine but if you <laughs> really want a challenge try going for a savory drink for me, yeah, the, intro- the introduction to the the concept alone is is the is the Bloody Mary. I don't remember if we talked That's about very it when, savory when we drink. drank Bloody Marys, <laughs> but it's the idea of it's a steak you can drink. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, and I mean, people have their favored uh, recipes for Bloody Marys for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, they can vary a lot. <laughs> only somewhat tangentially related. I I did kind of based <laughs> based on this same idea. My favorite vodka for Bloody Marys is. Uh, is absolute papar which is the the jalapeno infused one. Oh, fancy yeah yeah it's very good Mix, mixes really well with the the tomato juice and, and the pepper and everything like that anyway based on that concept i added a bunch of it to some spaghetti sauce last week and it was phenomenal it was something oh my i highly recommend <laughs> add it late so you don't cook out all the alcohol because what's the point if you do that <laughs> but yeah it, it took my spaghetti above and beyond to another level yeah nice so it sounds delicious thanks and spicy it was (laughs) spicy spaghetti yeah um but yeah that's but you know it it can contrast a little bit with the use of pepper here in this in this kind of mojito style drink for sure um so once you add that well i'll tell you the order i guess of everything in a minute but basically after all of that you're gonna either add like you're gonna top it off with club soda or ginger ale just depending on how sweet you want the drink if you want it to just taste like what you added you know put that club soda in and it'll just probably be strong and be minty and limey and gingery um but if you want even more ginger and you want a little bit more sugar then i would add the ginger ale but that's just going to be to taste depending on how you like it. So add a little, sip it, add more or whatever. Can't add less because it's already in there. You know? So uh, direction wise, muddle the ginger and the peppercorn in a highball glass. Um, if you want to use a shaker for all of this, you can. That's totally fine. Like if you want to strain it out and you don't want ginger slices and mint inside your mojito, I don't know why you would want to do that, but whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you muddle the ginger and the peppercorn in your glass or shaker, and then you're going to add the mint leaves after and gently muddle those because you don't want, you want to just release the oils. You don't want to break them up and then end up with like mint leaves in your teeth. Yeah. Again, again, we've discussed muddling before. (laughs) Exactly. There's a fine (laughs) finesse to it. You got to do it just right. Uh, know, know where you want to go when you start muddling otherwise for sure yeah. and that's why this is separate muddling too because muddling the ginger like you can muddle the crap out of it and get as much ginger out as you want because it's not like it's it's heartier <laughs> than mint <laughs> leaves are so you'll be fine <laughs> yeah but anyway so then you just add a bunch of crushed ice either to the glass or the shaker and then add the white rum the lime juice and if you are using a shaker, shake it up. Um, if you are just in the glass, add your club soda ginger ale. But you're going to fine strain that from a shaker into your glass. I think I'm getting really confusing right here. But basically, mm-hmm. add a bunch of crushed ice, add your ingredients. All will be well and it will be delicious. Yeah, that part we, that part we can speak to. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, some people I know have maybe even added instead of club soda, if like if you don't want it sparkling, I guess you can just add like coconut water. Okay, yeah, give it kind and of a different that texture. Might give it a little, yeah, add the little coconut flavor to it, and I think mm-hmm. that would go well with everything that you have in the drink anyway. So that's another option if you don't want carbonation. So. Um, well, thanks, yeah, that's Liz. what I have for our drink tonight. It's a tasty drink. I hope everyone gets a chance to try it. Or, you know, the libation of your choice. For sure. Whatever you're drinking, we're glad you could join us. We're going on a fabulous journey. Lindsay, tell us where. Oh, we are. Um, we are headed across the Atlantic Ocean to Angola. Angola. Land of, what is that? Is that knitted sweaters? No, wait, that's, that's Angora. Um, <laughs> Close, but... Definitely not the same thing. No, Angola, um, Angola. And that's something that um, most people, uh, well, I'm not going to say most people. I'm not, I've, I've met most people, but several people may not know exactly where Angola is. Yeah, uh, so we're definitely going to tell you where um, because, I mean, geography's hard sometimes. Let's be real. Yeah. Not for Logan, <laughs> right? Because that, wasn't that your major? <laughs> it was indeed, among many other things in college. Yes, definitely. Logan is a... Uh, smorgasbord of information <laughs> i i yeah i went to the the full sampler plate at, at the university <laughs> exactly angola it is a country it's in the southwest coast of africa so it's bordered by namibia to the south zambia to the east and the democratic republic of the congo to the north so yeah. it's like central south west Mm-hmm. of Africa. And it's right on the, the coast of the ocean. And if you look at the satellite map, to give you kind of an idea of what it's like there, I mentioned earlier we're going to a green place. This is the part of Africa where the green extends almost all the way to the ocean for the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. This is a very verdant, alive place and has a really rich, cool culture. It really does. If you want to kind of think up, most people know where South Africa is because it's at the very bottom of Africa. Because the south pretty of Africa, easy. yeah. Um, but on the west side, if you go up, there's Namibia, and then above that is Angola. Yeah. So pretty easy to find. And the photos from there are really amazing. It's a cool, gorgeous. cool place. Oh my gosh, gorgeous country. So basically, um, it's pretty cool, and <laughs> it's got some really interesting folklore, which is what we are going to be talking about tonight. In my research to find some Angolan folktales, which was far more difficult than I uh, had thought that it would be, uh, basically I found a book that was called Folktales of Angola, so I don't know exactly what I wanted, right? And it was collected and edited by Healy Chatelaine. So the stories in this, they were a direct translation from the original language they were in, which I believe is Kimbuntu. The original language is like the left side of the pages and then the exact translation is to the right side of the pages, which is really cool. Like as a linguistic nerd, I was like, yes, I could directly translate this myself if I wanted. (laughs) That's probably hubris right there, but whatever. It's really cool. (laughs) I think that's also required Um, to be a linguistics nerd, though. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. One linguistics class and I'm all over this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But... Because it was a direct direct translation, it didn't flow in English very well. So it was actually really, really hard to understand these stories. Mm-hmm. 
So I found a few retellings of the actual tales in that book. Um, the first one that I found was through a storyteller named Aaron Shepard, who's got a great collection of stories. And he basically takes an original tale and then kind of rewrites it so it's easier to tell to like kids or tell on podcasts or whatever. He just makes it a little more simplistic. Yeah, it's a cool and thing to do and flow a little better. Yeah. In native English, you know. And the next two I found in a book that was called Myths and Legends of the Bantu, which is compiled by Alice Warner. I did want to kind of go a little bit into what Bantu is. Uh, Bantu refers to the speakers of the Bantu languages, which means that several hundred indigenous ethnic groups in sub-Saharan Africa are technically Bantu peoples. There are hundreds of Bantu languages and hundreds of millions of Bantu speakers in the vast area of like central to southernish Africa. So it mm-hmm. covers a wide area. Um, but as far as Angola goes, it is dominated by Bantu peoples and the ethnolinguistic groups there are the Ovumbuntu, which is like 37-ish percent of the country as of 2005 and as of Wikipedia. So who, who knows if that's correct? <laughs> But we're going to just assume for the moment that it is. So it's the Ovumbuntu, and that's 37%. The Kimbuntu, which is around 25 And then the Bakongo, which is around 13%. And then the other 25 is varied through a bunch of other small groups of people, some people of, like, mixed ancestry, stuff like that. So... I hope I hope that's right. Like I said, Wikipedia. So <laughs> I digress. All of the stories that we're going to tell today are Angolan, and they all come from the same book technically, but they are all retold by other people just so they flow better in English. Yeah, I, d- so. I did some some research. Um, many of the stories that we're going to go over are actually connected in mm-hmm. kind of a cycle. And yeah, very uh, much their mythology, like the yeah. same people are present in a lot of the tales, just like you get in like Greek mythology or mm-hmm. Indian mythology, stuff like and, that. Yeah. And if you if you look, there's actually quite a few retellings of these stories as plays. Uh, th- th- this is something that has a performance element to it. And I oh, think definitely. that's pretty cool. Uh, I would imagine they would probably I, I, I would imagine these are probably told orally as a tradition so there's mm-hmm. probably some sort of a performance as- aspect originally anyway all right well i, I, I suppose I, I, <laughs> I could be wrong <laughs> i hope i hope everyone likes my renditions of them I, we i, I certainly tried my best on these sure. <laughs> <laughs> um so our first tale of the week is called how frog went to heaven and it is the tale that was retold by aaron shepherd from healy chatelaine's folk tales of angola um he, Aaron does say on his site that this tale comes from um, the Mabaka tribe of the Ambundu people of Northwest Angola. Kimanuese shirt in here to Kamana is a common figure in Ambundu stories. Just as a heads up, like we were talking, there's there's characters that show up. In yeah, he's multiple he's a little tales. bit like a like an he's Odysseus like a folk kind of hero. character. Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. So uh, Odysseus, um, maybe Hercules, a bit of Hercules, take your pick. Yeah, uh, yeah he's, he's kind of he's got his own little cycle going on. Yeah. So uh, Logan's going to tell us now. <laughs> Let's roll. How Frog Went to Heaven. There was a young man named Kimana. He wanted to marry the Sky Maiden. He wrote a letter to her father, the Sun Chief. Kimana went to Rabbit. Will you take this letter? Rabbit said, I cannot go to heaven. Kimana went to Antelope. Will you take this letter? Antelope said, 
Mm, I cannot go to heaven. Kimana went to Hawk. Will you take this letter? Hawk said, I can go halfway, but I cannot get to heaven. Then Frog came to Kimana. Why do you not take the letter yourself? Kimana said, This I cannot do. Frog said, Then I will take it for you. Kimana laughed. Can a frog take a letter to heaven? Frog said, Whatever it is, I can do it, but only if I try. Now Frog lived by a well. Every day the girls who served the sun chief came to this well. They climbed down from heaven on a web made by spider. Then they filled their water jugs and went home. Frog put a letter in his mouth and hid in the well. The girls from heaven came for water, singing their song. Good day to you, my sister. Good day to you. They lowered their jugs into the well, and Frog jumped into one. The girls did not see. Then the girls climbed back up on the web of spider. They went into the house of the sun chief and left the jugs in a room. Frog was alone. He jumped out of the jug and spit the letter out on a bench. Then he hid in a corner. The sun chief came for a drink of water. He saw the letter and opened it. He read, I, Kimana, a man of earth, wish to marry the sky maiden, your daughter. The sun chief said, How can this be? He went to the girls who fetched water. Did you bring this letter? The girl said, We did not. He went to his wife, the moon lady, and read it to her. What should we do? The moon lady said, Don't ask me, ask your daughter. He went to his daughter. The sky maiden said, Let us see if he can bring a wedding gift. So the sun chief wrote a letter and set it on the bench. Then he went away. Frog came out and put the letter in his mouth. Then he climbed into an empty jug. The next day, the girls took the jugs and climbed down to earth, singing their song. Good day to you, my sister. Good day to you. They lowered their jugs into the well, and Frog jumped out. The girls did not see. Then the girls went back to heaven. Frog took the letter to Kimana, and Kimana read it. You may marry my daughter if you bring a purse of money. Kimana said, this I cannot do. Frog said, Then I will take it for you. Kimana laughed. You took a letter to heaven, but can you bring a purse of money? Frog said, Whatever it is, I can do it, but only if I try. Kimana gave Frog a purse of money. Frog took hold of it with his mouth and carried it to the well. He climbed in and waited. The girls from heaven came to the well. Frog got into one of the jugs. The girls returned to heaven and left him in the room. Frog set the money on the bench. Then he hid. The sun chief came and found the purse. How can this be? He went to the girls. Did you bring this money? The girls said, We did not. He went to his wife, the moon lady. She said, Don't ask me, ask your daughter. He went on to his daughter. The sky maiden said, Let us see if he can come fetch me. So the sun chief wrote a letter and left it on the bench. Frog put the letter in his mouth and climbed into an empty jug. The next day, the girls carried him to earth. 
He jumped back into the well, and the girls went back to heaven. Frog brought the letter to Kimana, and Kimana read it. You may marry my daughter if you come and fetch her. Kimana said, This I cannot do. Frog said, Then I will fetch her for you. Kimana laughed. You took a letter to heaven. You brought a purse of money. But can you fetch a bride? Frog said, Whatever it is, I can do it. But only if I try. Frog climbed back into the well. The girls came with their jugs. They carried him to heaven. Frog jumped out. He spit in all of the jugs of water. Patooey, patooey, patooey. Then he hid in an empty jug. The people of the house came and drank the water. They all got sick. The sun chief called for the spirit doctor. The spirit doctor told him, You promised your daughter to a man of earth, but she has not gone. He has sent an evil spirit with a sickness. The evil spirit is in the shape of a frog. The sun chief went to his wife. The moon lady said, Don't ask me, ask your daughter. He went to his daughter. The sky maiden said, I will go. The next day, the sky maiden went down with the girls to the well. The girls filled their jugs, and Frog jumped out. Then the girl left the sky maiden and went home. Frog jumped out of the well. I will lead you to your husband. And the sky maiden laughed. Can a frog lead a woman? Frog said, I took a letter to heaven. I brought a purse of money. I fetched a bride. Whatever it was, I could do it, but only since I tried. The sky maiden said, Then it is you that I will marry. She took Frog back to heaven and married him. They lived on and on. And Kimana is still waiting for his bride. All right. So... (laughs) Looking for the most unattainable woman, the woman that, yeah. that's in the sky that he can't even yeah. reach. That's so. And funny there, are, to me. there are actually some translations that uh, not, she's the woman in the sky. Yes, but she's the daughter of the sun and the moon. Yeah, and, so like the most unattainable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't even try, and of course that's the one he has to have. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, but like, couldn't he? It was kind of drove me nuts a little bit at the beginning, but like, couldn't he have just asked? the girls that come down to the well reliably every day to take a letter for him. Yeah, yeah, I'm not really sure. Maybe they're unfriendly, maybe they're otherworldly. They they kind of felt very similar to the the Norns that we talked about over in our Norse episode. The sisterly keepers of the well, perhaps there's a, a witchcraft mm, or That's true. A, otherworldly aspect to them. Yeah. But I mean, I guess him just saying, "Hey, deliver this letter for me" would not have been as fun of a tale. So. I guess that's that doesn't make for a very good story. Besides, but a very clever frog, I will say. I do like the frog. It's I I, I like that this is a story about cleverness and for sure um, usually rewards thereof. Yeah, in the in a lot of the older stories, um, it gets to be so and so was the strongest warrior and fought the hardest and had the biggest fastest horse and it was simply just superlatives of all of those things. Yeah, Um, sure. While in this one, it does value a certain craftiness and Mm -hmm. finding a way that others might not see to solve a problem. No, I definitely agree. I think that in this tale, it was, it was interesting to me that once he went up and he like, 
the marriage proposal, I guess, got to uh, the whatever they were called, her mom and dad, mm-hmm. right? Um, like that they actually asked their daughter what they want, like what she actually wanted to do. It wasn't yeah. just like, oh, okay, cool. You know, she was like, mm, let's see if he can figure this out. <laughs> so she was actually a pretty strong character in this story, which I liked. Yeah, I like you that know. she had some some agency and some choice and yeah. kind of a character instead of just being a prize. For sure. And I did want to talk about that whole prize aspect a little bit, like mm-hmm. um, with dowries and bride prices. Like dowries were pretty, they were and still are pretty traditional, like all across the world. And they're kind of still in here in our traditions in the form of like the bride's family paying for a wedding in today's culture. Oh yeah. There are informal cultures Mm -hmm. that are meant to be gestures that, uh, well, often the man can take care of the woman and that the situation that they're putting their daughter into is one of safety and security. Um, Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of rituals around that. Yeah. The bride's giving something, you know, up to kind of pay for, like, it's, it's a whole (laughs) weird thing. And it's, it's been made even more convoluted over time and made a little bit more like suppressed socially, but still definitely there. Yeah. But it's also flipped on its head a little bit with bride price, which is the opposite. So it's, it's also been practiced all across the world. And that's where, what this is where the groom or like his family, they end up paying the family of the woman who they, they're going to be married to. Yeah. And And honestly, I guess that's kind of what I, what I was more talking about uh, in our Yeah, in our they society. both occur everywhere. They, they, yeah, both traditions do carry forward. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's just funny that, that these uh, little pieces of, of what we recognize out of today's culture, they go way back and they're, no, more, definitely. Than, they're more than just, you know, uh, Western English-speaking cultures. It's as a species, humans, we do have some things in common and we do some things similarly. <laughs> More than we expect often yeah. too. Um, but some places they actually do both bride price and dowries. In this tale, we obviously, we see more of a bride price interaction taking place because he has to send that, you know, that person money up mm-hmm. with the frog. Yeah. So that's his bride price, essentially. It was kind of a repetitive tale, but I think, it's used as a story device like the repetition kind of echoes the journey and how it becomes a bigger and bigger task each time it happens Mm -hmm. you know a little bit more impossible even though he's you know ascending up to the sky (laughs) as just a little tiny frog (laughs) i did think it was funny with with the the last request like go fetch her or whatever Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of sad that it took the like the frog making everybody sick for the last request to happen, like yeah. spitting and everything. <laughs> and then I, everybody's fine with it after. I'm just wondering if that's a if that's a frog thing. Uh, that's, Maybe I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> frogs alive. I'm making everybody sick. Yeah, <laughs> or something. I don't know. But with Kamana, like let's be real about this. He did nothing. Yeah, we know he did nothing at all. He just had the right friends. He he just talked to a frog and just sent him to do all the dirty work for him. Yeah, it's a certain uh, attribute known as resourcefulness when you guess when you see people, uh, or in this case, talking frogs as a resource. (laughs) Yeah, outsourcing. Yeah, (laughs) Um, but my absolute favorite part of this tale is 
this guy made him being a total boss that since the frog was the one that actually did any thing at all she was gonna marry him instead yeah like he made the effort and it paid off for him even though he wasn't intending for it to which is cool i hope uh hope they're very happy together (laughs) i do too (laughs) i think it's actually a good moral to the story especially for kimanoese who was clearly a folk hero so it's interesting for him to be like a main character in this tale but actually not like he's tangential almost yeah and and really it adds a little bit of humility to this character. It's, uh, sure. it's not this kind of Superman style character where they have no immunities and they're just the, the, the pinnacle of all that ever will be. No, yeah. it's something very fallible, uh, but still, well, he, he's uh, still an example. Rejected. And then yeah. like his money got taken away from him. <laughs> that was, so. that's his heroic story right there. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> uh, at the same time, this is uh, this is the beginning of his story. Uh, so maybe we'll learn more about this guy. He's got his toes in many ponds. We'll say that. Mm-hmm. Many stories. Um, but our next tale, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about with the frog No, tale? this was a really good uh, kickoff to our Angolan stories. I think I'm ready for another one. Cool. Um, so our next tale is called Sudika Mabambi, the Invincible. Ooh. Sudika Mbambi, the Invincible. Sudika Mbambi was the son of Nzua de Kimanazue, who married the daughter of the sun and moon. The young couple were living with Nzua's parents, when one day Kimanazue sent his son away to Luanda to trade. The son demurred, but his father insisted, so he went. While he was gone, certain cannibal monsters called Makishi descended on the village and sacked it all. The people who were not killed fled. Nzua, when he returned, found no houses and no people. Searching over the cultivated grounds, he at last came across his wife, but she was so changed that he did not recognize her at first. The Makishi have destroyed us, was her explanation of what had happened. They seemed to have camped and cultivated as best they could, and in due course, Sudika Mbambi, the Thunderbolt, was born. He was a wonder child who spoke before his entrance into the world and came forth equipped with his knife, stick, and his kilembe, a mythic plant, which he requested his mother to plant at the back of the house. Scarcely had he made his appearance when another voice was heard, and his twin brother, Kabundangulu, was born. The first thing they did was to cut down poles and build a house for their parents. Soon after this, Sodika Mbambi announced that he was going to go fight the Makishi. He told Kabundangulu to stay at home and to keep an eye on the Kilembe. If it withered, he would know his brother was dead. Then he set out. On his way, he was joined by four beings who called themselves Kipalendes, and boasted various accomplishments building a house on the bare rock, a sheer impossibility under local conditions, carving ten clubs a day, and other more recondite operations, none of which, as the event proved, they could accomplish successfully. When they had gone a certain distance through the bush, Sudika Mbambe directed them to halt and build a house in order to fight the Mikishi. 
As soon as he had cut one pole, all the others needed cut themselves. He ordered the Kipalende, who he had said could erect a house on the rock to begin building. But as fast as a pole was set up, it fell down again. The leader then took the work in hand, and it was speedily finished. Next day, he set out to fight the Makishi, with three Kipalendas, leaving the fourth in the house. To him, soon after, appeared an old woman, who told him he might marry her granddaughter if he would fight her, the grandmother, and overcome her. They wrestled, but the old woman soon threw the Kipalende and placed a large stone on top of him as he lay on the ground and left him there, unable to move. Sudika Mbambe, who had the gift of second sight, at once knew what had happened, returned with the other three and released the Kipalende. He told his story, and the others derided him for being beaten by a woman. Next day, he accompanied the rest, the second Kipalende remaining in the house. No details are given of the fighting with the Mikishi. Beyond the statement that they are firing... The second Kipalende met with the same fate as his brother. And again, Sudika Mbambi was immediately aware of it. The incident was repeated on the third and fourth day. On the fifth, Sudika Mbambi sent the Kipalendes to the war and stayed behind himself. The old woman challenged him. He fought her and killed her. She seems to have been a particularly malignant kind of witch who had kept her granddaughter shut up in a stone house. Presumably as a lure for unwary strangers. It is not stated what she intended to do with the captives whom she secured under heavy stones, but, judging from what takes place in other stories of this kind, one may conclude that they were to be kept to be eaten in due course. Sudika Mbambi married the old witch's granddaughter, and they were settled down in the stone house. The Kipalendes returned with the news that the Makishi were completely defeated and all went well for a time. The Kipalendes, however, became envious of their leader's good fortune and plotted to kill him. They dug a hole in the place where he usually rested and covered it with mats. When he came in tired, they pressed him to sit down, which he did, and immediately fell into the hole. They covered it up and thought they had made an end of him. His younger brother at home went to look at the life tree and found that it had withered. Thinking that perhaps there was still some hope, he poured some water on it, and it grew green again. Sudika Mbambi was not killed by the fall. When he reached the bottom of the pit, he looked round and saw an opening. Entering this, he found himself in a road. The road, in fact, which leads to the country of the dead. When he had gone some distance, he came to an old woman, or rather the upper half of one, hoeing her garden by the wayside. He greeted her, and she returned his greeting. He then asked her to show him the way. She said she would do so if he would hoe a little for her, which he did. She set him on the road, and told him to take the narrow path, not the broad one. And before arriving at Kalunga Ngombe's house, he must carry a jug of red pepper 
and a jug of wisdom. It is not explained how he was to procure these, nor how they were to be used, except that Kalunga Ngambe makes it a condition that anyone who wants to marry his daughter must bring them with him. On arriving at the house, a fierce dog barked at him. He scolded it, and it let him pass. He entered and was courteously welcomed by the people who showed him into the guest house and spread a mat for him. He then announced that he had come to marry the daughter of Kalunga Ngombe. Kalunga answered that he consented if Sudika Mbambi had fulfilled the conditions. He then retired for the night, and a meal was sent in to him. A live cock and a bowl of local porridge, Funji. He ate the porridge and some meat which he had brought with him. Instead of killing the cock, he kept him under his bed. Evidently, it was thought he would assume that the fowl was meant for him to eat, and a trick was intended to prevent his return to the upper world. In the middle of the night, he heard people inquiring who had killed Kalunga's cock. But the cock crowed from under the bed, and Sudika Mbambi was not trapped. Next morning, when he reminded Kalunga of his promise, he was told that the daughter had been carried off by the huge serpent called Kinyoka Kia Tumba, and that if he wanted to marry her, he must rescue her. Sudika Mbambi started for Kinyoka's abode and asked for him. Kinyoka's wife said, He has gone shooting. Sudika Mbambi waited a while and presently saw driver ants approaching. The dreaded ants which would consume any living thing left helpless in their path. He stood his ground and beat them off. They were followed by red ants, these by a swarm of bees, and these by a swarm of wasps. But none of them harmed him. Then, Kinyoka's five heads appeared, one after the other. Sudika Mbambi cut off each as it came. And when the fifth fell, the snake was dead. He went into the house, found Kalunga's daughter there, and took her home to her father. But Kalunga was not yet satisfied. There was a giant fish, Kimbiji, who kept catching his goats and pigs. Sudika Mbambi baited a large hook with a sucking pig and caught Kimbiji. But even he was not strong enough to pull the monster to land. He fell into the water, and Kimbiji swallowed him. Kabundungulu, far away at their home, saw that his brother's life tree had withered once more and set out to find him. He reached the house where the Kimpalandes were keeping Sudika Mbambi's wife captive and asked where he was. They denied all knowledge of him, but he felt certain that there had been foul play. You have killed him! Uncover the grave! They opened up the pit, and Kabundungulu descended into it. He met with the old woman and was directed to Kalunga Ngombe's dwelling. On inquiring for his brother, he was told, Kimbiji has swallowed him. Kabundungulu asked for a pig, baited his hook, and called his people to his help. Between them, they landed the fish, and Kabundungulu cut it open. He found his brother's bones inside it and took them out. Then he said, My elder, arise! And the bones came to life. Sudika Mbambi married Kalunga Ngombe's daughter. 
and set out for home with her and his brother. They reached the pit, which, it would seem, had been filled in, for we are told that the ground cracked, and they got out. They drove away the four Kipilendes. One is surprised to learn that they did not kill them out of hand, and, having got rid of them, settled down to a happy life. But Kabundungulu felt that he was being unfairly treated, since his brother had two wives while he had none, and asked for one of them to be handed over to him. Sudika Mbambi pointed out that this was impossible, as he was already married to both of them, and no more was said for the time being. But some time later, when Sudika Mbambi returned from hunting, his wife complained to him that Kumbundungulu was persecuting them both with his attentions. This led to a desperate quarrel between the brothers, and they fought with swords but could not kill each other. Both were endowed with some magical power, so that the swords would not cut, and neither would be wounded. At last they got tired of fighting and separated, the elder going east and the younger west. All right, so this story, um, it actually kind of dips its toes into the mythos of the creature that we're going to be talking about next week. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's a surprise. But maybe you figured it out from this. I don't know. (laughs) But um, just keep this tale in mind for our next episode. (laughs) Just a hint there. Um, (laughs) I did find it interesting that Sidnika Mbambi had to keep picking up the slack of everybody around him. Yeah. Kind of reminded me of Hercules a little bit. He's just given <laughs> all of these tasks and these tests and had like powers, like his second sight. So he was like kind of demigodish, you know. Mm-hmm. So I found that pretty interesting. Yeah. And and I like that this story just had everything. It had, it had oh, totally. <laughs> cannibalistic monsters. It had, uh, you know, betrayal of, uh, you know, of the servants or some. I, I, get, I get the feeling that they were like some kind of knights or. Or, or trusted, yeah, yeah, something servants. like that. Um, some some dudes that are close that say they can do a bunch of stuff, but definitely can't. Yeah, <laughs> there was a big old fish. It was it was really sweet. Um, <laughs> Very full of it. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So I mean, the guys were not the not the story. The story was yeah. great. <laughs> um, I super loved the the fights with the old witch woman. Oh yeah. She yeah, kept pinning and, them like pinning the buffoons under a boulder. <laughs> it was great, <laughs> and like a really good way of of setting up and kind of showing how strong he was, mm-hmm. like by his ability to beat her in that when she'd beat everybody else. Yeah, and she was a witch, which was cool. Mm, yeah, some <laughs> kind of some kind of magic. <laughs> yeah, and like she was she was actually an interesting sidestep into like a typical fairy tale trope of that like old witch keeping a young woman trapped away in a tower or a house as like mm-hmm. a lure for people so that was an interesting addition to the tale i think for sure yeah it, it kind of it takes the the idea of there's the the maiden the mother and the crone and the crone character has a lot of strength and a lot of power but often her power is is wisdom and uh and secrets uh, mm-hmm. But if there's if there's some kind of magic that can lend that can lend her strength in combat, well, that works too. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> um, so I think the another aspect with this, but uh, was Sudeikis Mbambi actually ended up marrying that girl, and then everything was just like happy mm-hmm. until it wasn't, which I actually <laughs> like because that's you know realistic. 
but it was like the story ended and then the story started again. It kind of felt like two two tales in one a little, which was cool. There's a certain aspect to these stories that feels a little bit like you're, you're like binge watching it. Uh, you can yeah, stop. Episode two. <laughs> or you can just go ahead and catch the next one and, Keep going. and see we what gotta happens. Know a, maybe yeah. season two. <laughs> Yeah, maybe um, good old Kalungo Ngambe shows up again. And- <laughs> exactly, right? Interestingly, you know, with his men rising up and, like, trying to kill him because they're jealous, that's that's a very human aspect to the story, I think, um, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's happened more than more than often all over yeah. the world in yeah, every those, single those culture. Sto- those stories of betrayal are often, well, those are the stories that last. That's a big event. Mm-hmm. Because it and, happens with everybody. I mean, we've mm-hmm. all either been the jealous person or experienced someone being jealous. Like it's consistently happens. And I mean, yeah, it's a uh, really all coveting from... something is <laughs> very common. <laughs> and it's I a... am totally someone that does that too. Like, oh sure, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a pretty universal human experience to yeah. to to want what we can't have. Yeah, that kind of covetousness is a good word yeah. for it. But to, not to, to like the point of killing someone. So no, maybe don't do there, that. At least, uh, <laughs> and that I'm willing to admit on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's not even outside of that. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, but it was great that like his brother like randomly saved him by just watering his life plant. That I was, that was cool. so cool. That it works. I wish both we all ways. had one of those. Yeah. yeah. This little this little bat signal of like, hey, I'm dead, and he's like, oh, let me just water this and see what happens. <laughs> oh look, he's alive again. That's cool. <laughs> so Kalunga seemed to be a pretty powerful entity, yeah. in, like the country of the dead. It feels like he's kind of like the lord, maybe of of the country of the dead, or and that's rules over I, it somehow. Yeah, from yeah. what I've found, it, that's pretty consistent. Uh, he's. Uh, really, um, I'm not sure if there's any relation in, in how they kind of developed, but he seems very much like the character of Baron Samdi from voodoo culture. Uh, he is a, yeah. a, a caretaker of the dead. He rules the underworld, but he's not necessarily villainous. He's not a bitter, angry, hateful creature. Um, right. And we, we see that a lot with, with gods of death. Like, um, mm-hmm. they aren't typically malicious they're matter of fact more than anything like it's a yeah. thing it happens and you know everybody's gonna die <laughs> it not it's not ever necessarily an evil thing per se it's just is right mm-hmm. and uh you know we see that kind of with hades we see that with like the morrigan uh all over cultures in the world because death is the inevitable right and you don't necessarily welcome it but it's not a bad thing either so Mm -hmm. it it, it fits a lord of the underworld or whatever and that's very much what uh kalunga ungamba is from what i've found um Mm -hmm. i even found an illustration in a fan-made uh magic the gathering card (laughs) uh that is kalunga ungamba with the title just simply death in case you care, he costs three colorless mana and two black mana to cast. <laughs> I don't know what that means. He's a six, seven indestructible, and he can create tokens uh, to sacrifice, and that's pretty sweet. And that I, that seems to kind of work. If anybody out there knows what I'm talking about, let's be friends. If not, we can be <laughs> friends anyway. He seems like a pretty yeah. cool character. He does seem really cool. Um, I've never played Magic in my life. 
I'm kind of okay with that. You know, I've, I've dipped my toes enough into like doing D and D. So yeah, you like you definitely have close, your nerd card. It's fine. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Just yeah. in different ways. <laughs> but but yeah, he's he seems to be a powerful entity for that, and he's he actually shows up in our next story as well. But I did want to mention like the whole eating the food from the land of the dead thing um, or yeah. any other worldly place really is a bad idea in like most folklore across the world. That, that really did stand out to me. Yeah, uh, for th- sure. That kind of, uh, that maybe that's really what first gave me the idea of, of Baron Samdi that yes, it is a, a final element in something universal, but also there's a, there's something to watch out for about this character, this, this character or this world, yeah. this aspect. A little tricksy. Don't trust it. For and sure. It feels a little bit um it feels a little bit like the the European Fae. Yeah, that's I thought of that too, exactly. Um there's something about ingesting like some foreign food from a totally different realm or land mm-hmm. that the I guess would really make that world a part of you suddenly, which is bad news bears. Yeah. <laughs> bad yeah, news bears just... if you want to actually leave, which most characters typically do. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's always been a really interesting fact or story device, I guess, in folklore. It's pretty cool, you know? You eat those six pomegranate seeds and you can never leave. Or you can yeah. only leave for six months of the year, I guess, technically, with Persephone. <laughs> but Well, it all, it, yeah, it's it's part of just taking something and taking it into yourself. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, the, uh, well, it's just, the, sorry. It's the essence of something. Now, thinking about food. <laughs> You're like, oh man, I'm hungry. <laughs> yes. But yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing, you know, with that, that foreign element now being a part of you. I mean, people don't think about that probably when you're in these worlds, but it's always a bad idea. So if you find yourself in a realm that isn't this realm, maybe don't eat the food just in case, yeah, unless you want to stay and then you're probably fine. Yeah. I know, guess. There's the... The logic Bring of your when own in food. Rome, do as the Romans do, <laughs> but in the underworld, that. don't match them. No. Rome is fine because it has delicious foods. You should eat there. But <laughs> the land of the dead, <laughs> the land of the fae, I would definitely avoid it. <laughs> yeah, eat before you go. Yes. Yeah. Maybe bring some yeah. rations with you. I don't know. Mm-hmm. A granola bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Some jerky. <laughs> One thing that I thought was really cool with this was uh, Kinyoka was a fucking hydra and that's I super know. cool out of nowhere five heads <laughs> I know, he's like, all chop, of them chop, angry chop. and mean yeah it's <laughs> that was at first it was like big fish okay yeah i've, I've heard about <laughs> uh, believe me i've heard the big fish stories before Oh, totally you've told yeah. the big fish stories let's but, be real <laughs> yeah but when it's all of a sudden like five heads and you it's know a fucking hydra solo, cool. strobe lights explosions even... <laughs> yeah it would have been even cooler if like it was like the real hydra that we know of i think it's from like greek mythology probably but like mm-hmm. with when you cut off a head another two grow i really so think real that, that should just be a universal aspect of all multi-headed creatures but you know makes sense it's still five heads and he still had to cut off five heads so it's pretty cool. that's a lot of heads really it really is all yeah. heads like snapping at you from all the directions definitely cool yeah it was kind of awesome that his brother came to rescue him. Like, his brother rescues him again, right? Yeah. And essentially resurrects him. And then he was like, 
later on kind of a dick to Sadiq Mbombi's wives because he was jealous. So he was like cool and then he was not cool. Yeah, it was it was one a of those things that he in, in his mind thing. he was cool with it, but as soon as he had to live with it every day, it was just it wore him down. <laughs> yeah, like, and maybe that's his, a realistic aspect too. Yeah, his his story could be right out of reality TV <laughs> for sure. I mean, like there's that that brother dynamic, right? You know, you love mm-hmm. your family, you would do anything for them, and you also sometimes totally hate them because yeah. that's just how it is. You know, that, usually you make he, up and everything's fine, but it's it's an understandable aspect. Um, it, it sucks that this is kind of what split them apart, but I kind of have a, I have a feeling that the split that happened there kind of signifies more than we really know about from just the telling of this tale, right? Yeah. Like it might have something to do more with mythology. Maybe they became East and West something. Uh, I don't know for sure. I would need to dig more into that and do actual like anthropological research to figure it out probably. Sad, but also maybe necessary as a folkloric device too. Mm-hmm. So, pretty good tale though. I really it took I us on a journey. I dug that one. That, sure. that one had a whole lot to it and would make a great movie, comic book oh, or totally. any other. I really hope that someone latches on and does something really cool with it. That would be awesome. Yeah. Maybe us, maybe one of our listeners, you know. Maybe somebody from Angola. I don't know. Hopefully both. Yes. (laughs) I would hope. (laughs) So we are going to move on to our final tale of the evening or the week or the day or the whatever. Or the the, the, early morning. 39 episode binge listening streak you're on i don't know i hope so (laughs) how you're listening out there in in, in 39 would be impressive since this is only 30 (laughs) yeah well maybe they started late and then they're coming back oh that's fair that's fair good point because they're like angola where's that let me google it first while i listen to other podcasts right it could happen for sure i think there's a yeah there's a whole story here that we'll explore at episode 39 definitely we've got shout out to those binge listeners for sure in the future from yeah. the past. <laughs> um, so this one, our final tale, is called How Nuzunga Defied Death. How Ungunza Defied Death. Ungunza Kilundu was away from home when a dream warned him that his younger brother Maka was dead. On his return, he asked his mother, What death was it that killed Maka? She could only say that it was Lord Kalunga Ngombe who had killed him. Then, said Ungunza, I will go out and fight Kalunga Ngombe. He went out at once to the blacksmith and ordered a strong iron trap. When it was ready, he took it out to the bush and set it, hiding nearby with his gun. Soon he heard a cry as of some creature in distress. And listening made out of words of human speech. I am dying, dying. It was Kalunga Ngombe who was caught in the trap. And Ungunza took his gun and prepared to shoot. The voice cried out, Do not shoot me. Come to free me. Ungunza asked, Who are you that I should set you free? The answer came, I am Kalunga Ngombe. Oh, you are Kalunga Ngombe, who killed my younger brother Maka. 
Kalunga Ngambai understood the threat, which was left unspoken, and went on to explain himself. You accuse me of killing people, but I do not do it wantonly or for my own satisfaction. People are brought to me by their fellow men or through their own fault. You shall see this for yourself. Go away and wait four days. On the fifth, you may go and fetch your brother in my country. Ungunza did as he was told and went to Kalunga. There he was received to Kalunga Ungombe, who invited him to take his place beside him. The new arrivals began to come in. Kalunga Ngombe asked the first man, What killed you? The man answered that on earth he had been very rich. His neighbors were envious and bewitched him, so that he died. The next to arrive was a woman who admitted that vanity had been the cause of her death. That is, she had been greedy of finery and admiration, had coquetted with men, and had in the end been killed by a jealous husband. It went on, one after another, came with more or less the same story. Or at last, Kalunga Ungambe said, You see how it is? I do not kill people. They are brought to me for one cause or another. It is very unfair to blame me. Now you may go to Melunga and fetch your brother Makar. Ungunza went as directed, and he was overjoyed at finding Makar just as he had left him in their home, and apparently leading much the same sort of life as he had on earth. They greeted each other warmly, and then Ungunza said, Now let us be off, for I have come to fetch you home. But to his surprise, Makar did not want to go. I won't go back. I am much better off here than I ever was when I lived. If I come with you, shall I have as good a time? Ungunza did not know how to answer this, and very unwillingly had to leave his brother where he was. He turned away sadly and went to take leave of Kalunga, who gave him, as a parting present, the seeds of all the useful plants now cultivated in Angola, and ended it by saying, In eight days I will come to visit you at your home. Kalunga came to Ungunza's home on the eighth day and found that he had fled eastward, that is, inland. He pursued him from place to place and finally came up with him. Ungunza asked why Kalunga should have followed him, adding, You cannot kill me, for I have done you no wrong. You have been insisting that you do not kill anyone, that people are brought to you through some fault of theirs. Kalunga, for all answer, threw his hatchet at Ungunza, and Ungunza turned into a Katuta spirit. Okay, so I do just want to say, now that you guys have heard the very end of that tale, um, just as a note for like the end of that story, uh, Nuzinga was turned into a Katua, which is a kind of spirit or demon that rules over the water and is fond of great trees and hilltops. And they figure oh. often in other Angolan tales. So just as a quick side note after you've listened to all of that. Before you forget. <laughs> um, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about that twist. Oh, yeah. I really like how Kalunga very clearly showed Nzunga that he didn't kill his brother and that his brother like died on his own and came to the land on his own and then totally kind of turns the end and just pursues and kills Nzunga. <laughs> or Nagunza. I guess it's Nagunza. I may have been saying that wrong. Sorry. Uh, well, <laughs> they're very difficult I, for our Anglo-Saxon tongues. I'm sorry. Yeah, a lot of consonants. All they're really around. cool names. Like I like really them a lot. Cool. And they and they all have a, a rhythm to them that once it's lyrical. 
It's beautiful. Yeah. If you can get it right, which I only <laughs> sometimes can, apparently. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, very cool twist. I liked that uh, he kind of showed that, um, that he's not really malicious because my guess is it was like maybe time for Nagunza to die, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I also feel like there's an element of of uh, our, our good old uh, Kalunga Ngambe that you don't mess with him. Um, he's <laughs> definitely, yeah, he kind he's, of been messing with him. I mean, yeah, really. He's, he is kind of a, he's, he's the dog that stays in his own yard, but don't go in that yard <laughs> or else. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Nagunza definitely did, uh, yeah. did go into that, did go into that yard. Yes. Um, and he got and bit with a hatchet. <laughs> he did after, you know, fleeing quite a bit. Um, I'm not really sure why Kalunga would have given him seeds and then like basically said, Hey, I'll be coming by in eight days. Uh, and like the Gunza had to have an idea of what was going to happen. Otherwise he wouldn't have ran. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess Kalunga saying that is kind of like the Grim Reaper being like, thanks for visiting. Uh, I'll see you in eight days. Yeah. You have, you <laughs> have scary. called death. Now I'll be here in eight days. <laughs> um, but going like hearkening back to the very very first part of the tale, I think like how cool would it be if we could communicate with each other through dreams, like Nagunza did with his mom, mm-hmm. when she was like, "Hey, your brother's dead." I feel like that would be a really good use for be, dreams. Uh, I think it really would because we have yeah. them. It mm-hmm. would be better if we could remember them more, maybe. I I'm the I. I I, I don't know if I've mentioned it. I don't think I do dream, but the usual response whenever I say that is you probably just don't remember them. Oh, yeah. Probably not. Yeah. Which is a bummer because dreams are cool. But Dreams, yeah. I guess technically we have text messages now, which is essentially something similar. Yeah, I guess. Something. It's, it kinda, it's a You can get a them while you're substitute. sleeping and wake up to yeah. them. <laughs> I guess. They don't disappear, which is nice. Yeah. But, yeah. um in general but uh i do think that it's interesting that we we don't seem to meet kalunga until like in the land of the dead here like we did in the previous story like he had to go find him yeah he trap was him and then at a destination later went to go visit him right mm-hmm. so that was a whole that was an interesting aspect you know it kind of changed from how we met kalunga in the last tale um and he, yeah. he does, like, Nagunsa does, he does seem to be able to travel to the country of the dead. And our last tale was kind of like that, too. Like, it wasn't, didn't seem like it was difficult for that to happen. So, it kind of makes me wonder if the tales, if they're talking about the that land is, like, another geographical area rather than another realm, per se. That I'm gonna have very to well could be. I'm going to have to kind of chew on that for a while. But it's interesting to think about, like, what do they mean by the country of the dead? Yeah, and it seems to be the idea that mortals can get there easily enough. Um, but can however, they leave? <laughs> I'd be willing to bet leaving is, is the hard part. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very Hotel California. <laughs> the best. Oh, so good. It is kind of a bummer that Nagunza went all the way to rescue his brother, who was like, nah. Yeah. No thanks. Home. I'm dead now, and the food here is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's and then he goes home, only to be killed like shortly thereafter, and turned into a reverse a river spirit. 
right? It's <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to go get you and rescue you. And he's like, it's cool, bro. I got, I got this. I'm good here. And now he's like, okay, now I'm, I'm dead. That's, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> kind of sad. Um, <laughs> it was an interesting tale. It's fun to kind of explore death a little bit more. I mean, I always think it's interesting. My, my minor, I guess you could say sort of was like, um, birth and death rituals and anthropology so i think it's always cool. interesting to, yeah, to know more <laughs> to know about, like more about creation stories um and more about the tradition surrounding death because it is the universal thing right it happens mm-hmm. to everyone we assume at least that we know of yeah and um, if we have any immortal listeners we would love to hear your perspective yes please that would be really interesting. <laughs> That'd be cool. We'll do a whole episode on it. But Definitely. But <laughs> until I mean, then, we're going to operate on the assumption that, <laughs> that people <it's> die. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then because of that, it's really interesting because people are so, some, some cultures are so afraid of death and some cultures fully embrace it as just a part of life. As and another phase. Through necessity yeah. too sometimes mm-hmm. because, you know, mortality rates can be really, really high in places because life is difficult. Yeah, usually places that have a tie to kind of the natural cycle of mm-hmm. of death and rebirth, they usually have some tie-in in, in their own stories yeah. that approaches death in a similar way. For sure. And I think that that goes a long way in making death a, a little more palatable, knowing, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it harkens to religion too, because some religions have a very specific view of what will happen when you die. And for some, it's, you know, you're going to go to this kingdom or some you're going to ascend to this different planet or some you're going to be reborn and it will happen again and again until you can achieve nirvana or whatever it is but i'll take valhalla thank you very much exactly (laughs) or you know that there's nothing and there's maybe there's the comfort in that too you know Mm -hmm. so it's it's an interesting thing and it kind of makes me a little sad that like that our society at least is so afraid of it because it sucks that you're going to go somewhere unknown but at the same time like that death makes life more worth living it makes it more entertaining it makes it more valuable to you you know yeah by adding a finite element to it uh, Mm -hmm. it makes everything else more valuable uh i i i don't know maybe it's corporate speak from years of working in (laughs) it but it's uh i do kind of like the philosophy that time is the one resource you can't ever get back right and then from that same angle i'm always like okay so when i'm working i'm literally trading my finite amount of time in my life for dollars Mm -hmm. it's always a whole other thing that makes me a little depressed like i could be doing things i really really love i guess i need to just find a job that i really really love so that it's a wash i'm I'm working on it (laughs) it's it's a work in progress here yeah because sometimes when stuff i I know we're tangenting sorry guys but sometimes when stuff you do as work is a thing you love it actually ends up becoming work and then you start loving it less which is a bummer but Mm -hmm. you know hopefully you can find a good balance hopefully we will find good balances we do love this and we're doing it so that's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, this is not but a waste of our time at all. This is a not. fine investment. No, it really is. Um, so those are our stories for this wonderful episode of Angolan Folk Tales. Um, we do have our promo for this week. And it's for a show that is called The Short Stories of Augie Peterson. 
Yeah. Augie is great. She writes short stories. Uh, they are of the horror variety. And then she narrates them on her podcast. And she also does another episode, I think weekly, of snarky reviews of horror films. So if you like horror stuff, if horror is your thing, you should definitely check her show out. It is great. She sounds cool. Yeah. We're going to play her promo right here. Hey folks, how's it going? My name is Augie and I host a podcast called The Short Stories of Augie Peterson. Once upon a time, I had two blogs. Then one day I started listening to podcasts. They seemed like a lot of fun and would combine the thing I was always afraid to share with the world, my writing, with the thing I had no choice but to share, my theater background. So I decided to combine them into a podcast for those millennials that don't have time to read two blogs. I read the original short horror stories I write every other Tuesday and review really terrible horror movies from Netflix, Redbox, Amazon Prime, and even the dollar store with massive amounts of snark every other Thursday. On the first Saturday of each month, I tell my listeners about five new indie artists that I have interviewed that I think they should know about. So if you like terrible horror movies, learning about new artists, really good horror stories, and total nerds, this is the podcast for you. Check out the short stories of Augie Peterson wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, go to augiepeterson.wordpress.com. Toodaloo! Right, so check her out um and as always you can find us on instagram and facebook at folklore on the rocks you can find us at twitter at folklore rocks <laughs> different every time i love it <laughs> we got pictures notes sources on our website at folkloreontherocks.com we do have a Patreon and a PayPal button if you want to make just a one-time donation. Patreon would be monthly, and there are different tiers with different rewards. We're gonna we're we're in we're working on some content for I, Patreon. I know to make we it say more. that all the time, I but know. we are actually working on cool stuff. No, this we is, literally just talked yeah. about it before we started recording tonight. So I promise, <laughs> it's, such cool stuff. It's really coming, it's, and it's gonna be yeah. some fun and some weird stuff, and it's gonna be great. <laughs> So you will definitely, once we start doing that, or before, um, you definitely want to maybe uh, be a patron on Patreon. Yeah, we'd appreciate we highly it. recommend it. Yeah. Um, and it super helps us, too. <laughs> um, free stickers if you write us a review and send a screenshot in. And we also recommend maybe rating us and leaving us a review on iTunes, even if you don't want stickers. We would yeah, please be very do. very grateful. Um, even yeah, if you've got something that you want us to hear, uh, go ahead and tell us. We we love hearing feedback, and this is something that's been really cool, and we really appreciate anybody who takes the time to write a review. Yeah, except for the ones that do one stars, because we don't appreciate that. Yeah, we <laughs> no, don't love kidding. it. We it's, like constructive <laughs> criticism. We don't. Yeah. We don't like. Hey, you guys are drunk. This isn't cool. <laughs> yeah, there, we may not be the, the, the podcast rocks, for everyone. That's yeah. On the I'll, rocks. I'll, I'll, I, it's fine. We will own that. <laughs> no, no, really. Most most people's reviews have been wonderful, and we we appreciate them so much. We've gotten other feedback in other ways, and we love getting all that we can of it. So it's great. Um, just as another incentive, once we hit that 100 reviews, we're gonna do a bonus episode with a listener selected creature, and that could be literally anything. So if you want us to talk about Bigfoot, that's pretty much the only way. Then happen. you're going to get one hell of a Bigfoot episode. Yes, you will. <laughs> um, but 
other than that, we just uh, ask that you tell any friends that you know of that are interested in folklore or creatures or like other weird things that we talk about because <laughs> we've got a variety of stuff because um, that, that word of mouth is really the best marketing that we can get. Um, but in general, yeah, just thank you guys for listening and we hope you tune in next Sunday. Yeah. Thanks very much, everyone. Hopefully we'll see you soon. Yay.